It's a beautiful day on Vancouver Island and Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, we're at episode 169 of the In Goal Radio Podcast, presented by The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. This week, we look forward to bringing you Kevin's feature interview. Whoa, 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 whoa. that was really well done. But who's that? Can we offer a little bit more professional voice behind that intro? please, please, Darren, step right up. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Welcome back. We missed you, buddy. I've had the best nap of my life for the last month. This has been amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh, and, uh, thank God you're all here. The listeners and everybody for, for rolling along in the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, what's up, boys? What's up with you? I think we've had a lot of people asking that question, Darren. And we, uh, we said throughout it wasn't really our story to tell. We'd wait till you got back. And I got to say, we are happy to see you back. You look a lot prettier now than the pictures you sent us by text message shortly after the accident. The scars are healing nicely. Scars have healed. Uh, stitches are, are out. Uh, some scabs are growing over. Uh, the memory is still a little foggy at times. But uh, but uh, just remember, wear your helmet when you're on your bike. Because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Scars Amen. and all. Uh, but uh, but no, it's it's all good. I want to thank all the health professionals and Everybody around the hockey world for for checking in on me. You guys uh, have been so amazing. Uh, but yeah, it was a road bike accident. Don't know exactly what happened because kind of blanked out uh, a little bit. But uh, we're on the uh, on the road to recovery here, fellas. Uh, uh, and uh, good things are ahead of so, us. So um, you give us a pretty hard time about the danglers and not wearing the danglers. Yes. We, we did chirp you a little bit while you weren't on the air, wondering if you had a dangler hanging underneath that... Uh, Underneath that helmet, and also wondering if, after years and years of chirping me for the need to be bubble wrapped, do we need to get you a giant sort of bubble wrap type tissue for the next time you're on the bike? Well, we're we're all familiar with uh, with road bike helmets. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of adopting the uh, the motocross Might helmet have been a good idea. with the full shield in front. With some goggles and gloves and knee pads and all that kind of stuff. So mountain bike, rope, motocross is probably the next thing. If I'm going to get out of the house again, which is, it's up in the air right now uh, with the family, uh, that that will be more the case. Uh, the, the, the face would have done really well with a football helmet or something like that. A little tough in the Las Vegas sun. One word for you, Darren. Peloton. Yes, exactly. That, that, that is the next uh, thing that was brought up to me. I'm not sure we were home from the hospital yet. And the Peloton was brought up and, and it was seconded by a bunch of, uh, but a bunch of different people, but Hey, uh, all of a sudden it just like that, we're into approaching the middle uh, of the first round of the Stanley cup playoffs. And, uh, you guys have been awesome and I can't wait to, uh, catch up on everything, uh, that you guys have done on the air, but, uh, we are, we are at a stage where things are happening and we, as we go through this. Have have had now Carolina, Boston, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Washington, Los Angeles. That's six teams, and now a seventh team. As we record this, have used multiple goaltenders due to Darcy Kemper leaving the game against the Colorado uh, Avalanche and the Nashville Predators. With this is extraordinary attrition in the goaltending position. Yeah, and some of it, like let's be honest, some of this is just bad luck. Like some of this is just fluky injuries, right? Like. Um, you know, even even the Penguins, uh, as much as Casey DeSmith's uh, an injury in play, like Tristan Jari's broken foot. Like, how many times do you see a goaltender break a foot? Um, doesn't happen yeah. very often. Obviously, the Darcy Kemper one is pretty rare. 
But this one's going to get talked about. And for those that haven't seen it, we, it literally just happened as we were sitting down to record. Ryan Johansson's stick blade goes right through the cat eye of Darcy Kemper. I don't think, you know, I, maybe it's knowing him a little bit, um, but just watching the play, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think he had any idea his stick was in there. He's tied up with the guy in front, goes right through the cat eye. And Darcy looked to be in some distress. There's no update yet. He's obviously not back in the game, but you know, scary moment. And I got to be honest with you, like this is a conversation that I've had with people around the league dating back to Sidney Crosby's blade going through the cat eye and into the eye of Rick DiPietro. So obviously we're talking about a, a fair amount of time has passed. Uh, I, I can't, can't remember how many years ago, but it's been a while since Rick's played. He's now doing ESPN broadcast. So, you know, a fair while back was the first time it came to my attention that there are people in the league that have a problem with the fact a stick blade will fit through the hole in a cat eye cage. And every time I bring this up, and like I said, like I'm not pulling this out of my butt. There are people in the NHL that think this should change. Every time I bring it up, I get hammered by the goalie union, and it's clearly been a non-starter from the goalie union. Um, and I'd be curious to see, depending on, you know, and we hope that Darcy Kemper's just got a scare and everything's all right. But if I've always said it's just going to take one significant injury and this conversation will be brought to the front burner, whether the goalie union likes it or not, especially now that visors are mandatory other other than for those who have been grandfathered in. Like at the time, the argument was we get you, you can't tell us what to wear. Um, in terms of eye protection, the players weren't wearing visors, but that's out the window now as well. So again, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just telling you, there are people in the league that for a long time have felt this is a problem and that something like this was inevitable. Uh, I hope this isn't the the one that changes everything because that means it's a significant injury, but it will at the very least bring this conversation back to the forefront. Just to make sure everybody's aware, in the Canadian Hockey League, the traditional cat eye is not permitted, but in NCAA college, it is, right? Correct. And really nowhere in Canada is the cat eye permitted to my knowledge. I mean, I know a lot of us beer leaguers are able to wear it, but uh, no. You can't purchase one in Canada, Yeah, technically right? they're illegal to sell in Canada, and that's not a hockey right. regulation. That's a Health Canada regulation is my understanding. Isn't, isn't that right, Woody? Yeah, and uh, they should, in theory, be illegal to import, but it's not hard to get it shipped to you across the border. Frankly, I don't think it's, I don't think that it's something that's watched that vigorously. And yet, I do know that our friends at the hockey shop, because there is a government office near them, every once in a while would get a visit from somebody from Health Canada to take a check and see if there were any cat eyes on the shelf down there in the goalie department, uh, goalie utopia at the hockey shop. What is the reason for wearing a cat eye? Is it the mirror test? Because it looks fantastic. I subscribe to that part, certainly. But is it such an amazing advantage visually? Can somebody answer that debate? I think it's an amazing advantage visually. Uh, every okay. goaltender I've spoken to, and I've spoken to quite a few young ones who you know, get at that point in their career where they're able to make a switch, whether it's that first pro camp for example coming at a major junior and they're able to put one on um i've let my own son wear one in the summer when he's going to sessions that don't involve any sort of net front play where there is a risk like we saw in the game today uh everybody i've spoken to has said uh that it's a remarkable difference in vision and they would never do anything else regardless for me it's 100 percent the eye test 
Because it's beer league. Yeah, let, yeah let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, you want you want to look good. You to, which to is ridiculous because uh, I couldn't but, look good no matter what I put on, but it still matters to me. So <laughs> you you really you, you really think it's the eye test? Like to me, like having worn it. Oh, I think the mirror test is a big oh, yeah. part of this. I, I've never considered it. I just like to me looking through bars versus having nothing between me and the puck vision wise. As much as I know it's stupid and I'm running risks, like I just find the visions that much. No, better. that's what I, I was I, saying, I've Woody. I'm even, just saying. Just saying it shouldn't really be as big a deal for me with what I'm doing. The the better goaltenders I speak to 100%, that's what it is. Really? No, I've, I've like never division. thought of it I'm that agreeing way. with you. Oh, I, the, see, when, when Darren's saying eye test, I think what he means is the cool look, right, Darren? As opposed to the yeah. vision. Yes. Yeah. I think there's. I think it's 50-50. Uh, for, for Everybody's people. sitting in uh, on a classic Woody Hutch conversation where both of us probably agree on something, and it sounds like we're arguing about it because we don't understand yeah, each other. You're saying the same yeah. thing. You're just saying yeah. it differently. Uh, like like when you when you talk about rec league, men's league, like there's there's no reason why the eye test should uh, like uh, looking good uh, should impact that, but it does. Uh, but when it comes to just looking at the puck, like there's not a discernible advantage in men's league. Uh, but it, that's the that's the eye test trying to to feel good. In in pro guys, it's it's all about being able to track 100%. the puck better because you don't have that yeah. bar in front of you. And the margin yeah, for error at that level of play is so little that you're going to take every yeah. possible advantage you can so that you can play better. I would argue maybe the margin for error about stick safety uh, in beer league is probably you know, a lot more of a risk, right? Like mm, guys, yeah. there's a lot of guys around you that don't know what the heck they're doing with their sticks. So, um, yeah, but I do find it interesting that between the two countries, we have this difference that you go down and play NCAA and suddenly it's okay. And well, how about NCAA? You have to wear a cage yeah. when you play as a, as a mm-hmm. skater, but you're allowed to yeah, wear no the eye as a goaltender, no kidding. but in the, in CHL, you can wear a visor. Yeah. Uh, as a skater, but you can't wear the traditional cat eye as a goaltender. That's mm-hmm. that's bizarre. We have neck guard differences between the countries too. Mm-hmm. Not all areas. I know some uh, U.S. associations mandate them, but this will be fascinating to see uh, the the fallout from this. And we certainly we are in the uh, immediate uh, moments after Josh Camper's uh, incident uh, against the Nashville Predators. So. I uh, don't want to, to jump to any conclusions on that part, but uh, the, 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 the conversation uh, is taking place right now on this podcast and will be furthered uh, regardless of the severity of the injury. Uh, Woody. Yeah, and I, like I said, like I've had NHL goalies say this is an absolute non-starter, don't talk about it every time it comes up. But again, I've had people on the NHL side that, that have expressed concerns with this, like I said, dating back. It's got, it's got to be like, what, seven, eight years now? So... For sure, this is behind the scenes a topic of conversation. And as I've said many times, all it's going to take is one really bad injury before it gets brought to the forefront. I really hope this isn't the time. Um, but maybe the fact it's this scary means it should be time to have the conversation regardless of the output. And goalies will hate me half the teams, for saying it, too. Half the teams in the National Hockey League have used uh, multiple goaltenders, uh, including the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, most of them have been starting. Uh, switching up starters uh, so far in these Stanley Cup playoffs. And Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Carolina have all used their third-string goaltender uh, in this uh, Stanley Cup postseason. It's It's been phenomenal how deep teams have gone already. Hey, and, and to tie in like uh, third goalies and multiple goalies and equipment, I got to go back because uh, I can't remember how much we talked about this, um, but an update on Peter 
Kochetkovs. Kochetkovs? I still can't say that bloody last name. I'm going to have to call uh, Paul Schoenfelder and ask him how to properly pronounce it. Um, the Miklin glove, the Russian glove. The Russian glove that yes. disappeared after he was called up. He was he's he's been in true pads and a true blocker, and all of a sudden he gets called up to Carolina and he's in a true glove. And I thought, oh, I wonder because I had been told that that Micklin glove he was wearing uh, in the AHL had not been officially approved by the NHL and technically probably shouldn't have been wearing it in the A. And all of a sudden he goes to the NHL and he's in practice with a true glove. And so color me surprised when I was told that. And the next thing I know, he gets into games and he's wearing the Micklin with the logo blacked out. Now in the playoffs, he's wearing the Micklin. So I got to the bottom of it. The reason he had the true glove in practice, they did have to physically ship the Micklin glove to the NHL offices to have it measured and approved. And in the words of the person doing the measuring and approval this time, the stinkiest approval process he's ever (laughs) gone through because that thing is well used. Um, But yeah, it did go through the offices, got Kay Whitmore's signature on it. Uh, It is official and approved. But poor Peter, uh, his must have been wondering, who doesn't speak much English, when he arrived in the NHL, where the hell his glove went? Because it just disappeared yeah. on him for two or three days to get officially approved um, so that he could wear it in the National Hockey League. So the re- initial reporting we had on it, because it's one of those curious things, right? Like I was kind of curious. Uh, and so I checked and I was told that it had not been approved. And so he wouldn't be able to wear it in the NHL. Well, a week later, he's wearing it in the NHL and I'm going, what the hell? Well, now it has been approved, but they actually had to physically ship that stinky, bloody glove to the offices in Toronto, get it approved and ship back to him. If uh, you were with us a few episodes uh, ago, when we were talking about uh, baking gloves and then rebaking them after a while, and you put that uh, in your oven, and we kind of walked you through that process, didn't advise it, but uh, told you the, the method, uh, you, you've, you've experienced that uh, aroma of, uh, of having a glove. In the yeah, now, and, I, and in now speaking of this, you've been sort of stuck at home and unable to play, and you told us that you rebaked your glove. I did. And I did. so how did you protect from the aroma, Darren? Because like I'm thinking time in the hospital. Oh, no. bite, there was no protection. Like like it was full and aroma. you're still married. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're pushing yeah. the lines there, buddy. <laughs> well, I uh I, I I just said I forgot. <laughs> that we weren't allowed to do that. And I got away with it. I, I think I've got another six weeks left of that excuse right now uh, of being able to say, I just, I just uh, forgot. Half the league has, has used multiple goaltenders, but a shout out to those that have stayed the course uh, with guys and, and have um, like Mark andre Fleury lost game one, uh, came back. They, they, they stayed with him. Um, Billy Husso, uh, Dallas has used one goaltender and Mike Smith. Mike Smith with the gaff in game one has come back and he's got a lead in this series. So while there's all this change going on, good on the coaches who have stayed the course. Not only does Mike Smith have a lead in the series, I think he's got the all-time record for playoff save percentage right now at like career 932. Now, not a lot of games, frankly, in that sample over a long career, but um, there was a lot of talk in Edmonton about Sit him out after the puck handling gaff. Go to Miko Koskin, which is absurd. Mike Smith was the player of the month in April. This was never a question. He's found his game. He looks like the guy of last season. And yes, every once in a while, he tries to do too much with the puck. And it cost them. And he admitted afterwards that that was an instance where he needed to make a safe play. But as he told us in our four-part puck handling series on the ice with Mike Smith providing tips, what was the first part, Hutch? 
The first part was that you have to have the courage to make plays and you're never going to be a great puck handler unless you're prepared to make mistakes. It was a full, it was full on permission to the two young goaltenders he was working with to get out there and play the puck. And I would also say it was an appeal to coaches of younger goaltenders to allow that to happen as well, because it's the only way they'll develop. Well, and that's the, and and it goes back to a story that I think he's told actually since uh, the puck handling gaffe that when you handle it as much as he does, there's going to be mistakes. And it goes back to the first game he made a turnover with the Dallas Stars and then was scared to get out of his net the next time the puck was rimmed in. And by the time they got to the first TV timeout, and he tells this story in the in the video that we have up at ingolmag.com on the four-part series, first TV timeout, he goes to the bench, and Marty Turco, who's among the best ever to do it, um, says to him, what the hell are you doing? Like, And he's like, I, I made that mistake. I didn't want to go back out. He said, no, no, no. Like, I, I never want to see that again. You can handle it. Go handle it. And yeah. so an important lesson early in his career and one that he shared with us and shared with others. And like you said, Hutch, an important lesson. Every, every bloody coach wants a good puck handling goaltender. And yet as soon as yeah. they make a mistake, they, they scare them into shutting down. I shouldn't say they all do it, but many do. And so you have to, you have to encourage, encourage them to get out there and do it again, just like Mike Smith does. And he's having a, after that rough first game, he's looked incredible the last couple. The band is back together. It's Ingle Radio, the podcast. Aaron Millard, along with David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, presented by The Hockey Shop, the hockey shop source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, we are happy to bring you the uh, Sense Arena VR feature interview in just a little bit with Kirk McLean uh, coming up. And we also have our gear segment in uh, a couple of moments. But first, uh, Carey Price did return for the final uh, little bit of the National Hockey League season. Uh, Woody, uh, do you have an update on what the aspirations are or projections are for Carey Price moving uh, to forward? To be on, like not beyond what he said publicly, like we haven't reached out privately or anything like that. Um, but certainly a lot of us in the hockey world were happy to see him back. And then, you know, uh, sad to hear him say after that game that there's swelling on his knee on a pretty consistent basis every time he plays. And if that continues, he's not sure he'll be able to keep playing. And so that put a bit of a damper, especially after that, it was nice to see him get that win. Uh, I thought he played well in some of the losses, but to, to get that win to close out the season and a lot of happy moments that you saw behind the scenes, his kids along the glass. And, you know, he talked about that day and and going into it and his approach and and how it was just a great day. And there was sort of, there was undertones there that made you worry that it, you know, like talking like a realization that, you know, if the knee doesn't get better, it might be the last one, right? And um, no, none of us in the goalie world want to see that. Um, there's only one Carey Price, and we want to see him in the league. So, uh, hoping for the best, and that you know that knee continues to heal and gets better over the summer, so that we get more moments and more great moments and more great saves from Carey Price for a long time yet. But certainly, a bit of a damper and a bit of a grain of salt to hear him talking in those terms after uh, you know such a nice night. And yet at the same time. Also refreshing to hear how at peace he seemed with everything. So, because that's all that matters at the end of the day. Selfishly, as a fan of goaltending, I want to see Carey Price. But truthfully, as somebody who's gotten to know him not well, but a little bit through some of our interactions and some of the behind the scenes stuff, you just want him to be able to live his best life and, and enjoy his life and enjoy his family and all those other things. Like Carey Price, the person, as we said from the start of the season on, matters more than Carey Price, the goaltender. But the rest of us still love to watch Carey Price, the goaltender, and hope we get to more in the future. Uh, Hutch, you, your heart must be fully involved in this. 
I, I mean, I just hope desperately that uh, that Kerry comes back and that we get to see him again. He's been, uh, you know, been a fixture for all of us for a very long time. We know how much the game means to him and how much he means to goaltenders everywhere. Uh, how many guys have we interviewed on the podcast? And part of that is about their origin story. And we all, we ask them all, who, who was your guy growing up? Who did you follow? And almost to a to a man, we hear Kerry Price was was the person that people followed, and and it's far too young for him to be done. Um, I, I agree with Woody. It, it's good to see that he's at peace. Uh, it's good to see that there was some moments there of, of closure in a sense, you know, with his young family in the, in that last game. Um, so that maybe he is able to, to leave on his own terms if he has to, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I hope for the best. I'm glad he got into that and maybe can, uh, can do the rehab that's needed over the summer and let's hope his body's good to him and allows him to, to return for next season. This is Annual Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, the hockey shop source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, if people want to get in touch with us, uh, how do they do so as we uh, enter into the uh, real stretch drive of the Stanley Cup playoffs and get get into a rhythm here in the first round? Yeah, well, there's lots of ways to get in touch with us, Darren. I used to just pull out the old podcast at ingoalmag.com, but uh, I've really enjoyed that we get lots of questions over on YouTube now. Every video that we post gets... Uh, quite a few different comments and questions thrown in there. We get emails directly to info at ingolmag.com. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can get us. And we, we look forward to chatting with people. I got one in this week, actually, a question that might be worth just knocking around here, Darren. Was it from me? Did you get my question? Like, how do I get back on the podcast? Uh, <laughs> well, you just jump in like you did. <laughs> Woody wasn't supposed to send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can always count on Woody for a distracted. Well, you know, uh, it's just old habits, hey, old same, habits. Yeah. I was having a whole lot of fun. No, um, we we did get get a question from uh, Merrill Coral. I hope I got your name right there, Merrill, uh, from Pennsylvania, and uh, says some some great things about the uh, the podcast and and says that they're getting you know a lot of their personal development just from listening to the podcast, and it's always great when people let us know that. But basically, the question was. We've dropped the comment on here a number of times, um, probably all of us, that uh, shinny can be a bad thing for goaltenders. We, you know, we talk about summer hockey and getting together with your buddies and just uh, playing a little bit of three on three, four on four, whatever it might be, um, as your summer training. And and we're quick to say that that can create some bad habits, might not be the best thing. And you know, and the question comes in, just saying, look, I found it's the only thing I can do. It's a we're we're hearing from a beer leaguer here. And uh, I think that it's really helped me, especially when I think of the things that I've learned on the podcast. So asking, could we elaborate um, on a future podcast a bit about what they might be misunderstanding or really what is it that we mean when we say that uh, shinny can be a bad thing for goaltenders? So what do you think, boys? I I get the question because it's like strength training, like uh, practice uh, a looser environment. And when you get back to uh, a real tight situation, a more organized hockey, you should be better. I get that way of thinking. So yeah. Woody, answer why it can be a disadvantage. Well, I think the context, like for, for the listener that sent the question, it's probably not a I, I fully believe that he gets something out of it, especially if it's his only opportunity to go out and skate. The comments we make are more sort of, you know, 
for NHLers, for NHL goalies, and based on feedback that we've had from them over the past number of years, because there used to be a lot of guys that would just go out and play shinny. Now, this isn't shinny like you and I go play at the local rink on Tuesdays with where half the guys can't skate and half them don't bother to skate into their own end. This is like shinny, unstructured NHLers. And so if you give NHLers an unstructured environment with time and space, it quickly becomes a tic-tac-toe fest with backdoor central. And again, nothing wrong with that. Like if you, if you can hold your edges and work on your patience and try and play everything straight up as much as you can, then it's not a problem. Or if you ever only play it every once in a while, it's not a problem. But if you spend a good chunk of July or all of August doing little else but shinny at that level, the goalies in the NHL will tell you like there you hit points in that environment where your only chance to make some of the saves is to cheat is to cheat your read, is to anticipate a pass earlier um, just because of the skill level and the amount of time and space they have. And the reality is if you do it often enough, it becomes a habit and it becomes something where you can get caught leaning when you're trying to go back into a regular environment. So that's to answer the question, um, when we make that statement, it's more the NHL level and for those guys. And, it, and it's not, you know, we don't pull it out of our ass. It comes from conversations with NHLers who have gone both ways on this. Now, look at, look at Martin Jones. Like Martin Jones started playing shinny more in the summers earlier in his career because he felt like he'd, he'd got become too technical as a goaltender. And he wanted mm. to, you know, work on going outside the box and the desperation saves and, 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 and getting outside of his technique a little bit. Like there's a time and place for it. But again, if you have to cheat to make saves and you start cheating often enough, and you do it for a month at a time heading into your season, sometimes those habits can be a little hard to delete or get out of your game once the season starts. At least that's what we hear from other NHL goaltenders. So from a professional point of view, Hutch, like 80-20 would be okay? 90-10 would be okay? Uh, where where are we on the on the balance there? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't actually know how you would ever put a balance together, Darren, yeah. um, what it would be. And I, I don't think it applies just to the NHL. Um, I think it it probably applies more as you move up the levels in hockey. I, I, I have a few thoughts on it. Um, one is there's a lot of players, you know, even at the junior hockey level and above, I've spoken to pros. All they really want to do in the summer is go to skates with with other guys and basically play shinny. Yeah, maybe a bit of skill development, and then they play what is effectively shinny. That's not really good enough if you're trying to take your skill to the next level, whether you're a player, a goaltender, whatever. Um, you, you have to be doing position-specific skill training, I believe, uh, if you want to be able to elevate your game going into the next season. It's it's more than just I I absolutely agree with Woody ab- about um, the habits that can be ingrained, but I also think back to um, you know that statement we've heard from Mitch Corn before. Goaltending is about pattern recognition, and the patterns that you're recognizing in a shinny skate are not those that you're going to be seeing in a game. So, yep, yeah, great for exploring your athleticism, great for learning other things. Um, I really believe that you also can't live strictly on goaltending skill sessions if all you do is one-on-one sessions with a goaltending coach all year long you can't just step into a game and play at your highest possible level you need the game experience 
you also need to learn to, as Kevin was saying about Martin Jones, sort of go outside your technique. And, and so there are, are things like that, or whether, or maybe you're on a regular hockey team and your coach does a little bit of, um, you know, the small area games that have become so popular. I think those are really valuable for goaltenders as well to explore your athleticism. Um, but as I said, I think as you move up higher and higher levels, that proper game level pattern recognition and how you play are so important. And and I talk about my son way too much, but he had a really neat experience this year in that he started playing under 18 hockey and then he moved up to junior A for some games and then he got some game experience at the major junior level this year. And he says, absolutely, without a doubt, the game gets easier as you move up. He found it easier to play to an extent at the major junior level because you know what's happening in front of you. You can trust what's happening in front of you. Yes, of course, the releases are better. The shots are harder. The stakes are higher. Um, but just learning to play that game is, is a very different experience than playing at a lower level. And, uh, and so you need to have that experience and to see those things happening. And if you just play shinny, if things are loose and unstructured, you don't learn to trust the system that you're in as a goaltender at a higher level. And for him learning to know that his defense would have a certain position on the ice covered so that he could fully, um, you know, fully embrace a shot that's coming towards him, fully honor the shot that's coming towards him uh, in a way that you simply can't in shinny or at a lower level of hockey is just incredibly important. So, yeah, I think if you're a beer leaguer, go to shinny because that's probably all you're seeing in front of you anyway. Let's face it. Um, right. So you are learning the same pattern recognition you need to yeah. live with for the most part. And there's nothing wrong with it for a little bit as you're moving up. But absolutely, if you want to play the game at the highest level, if you want to improve your game to the next level, you need to work with a goaltending coach and you need to play in a in a structured system a fair bit as well. And I will say, like a part of these conversations with NHL guys over the years, like when I started this job 20 years ago, like it was a lot of shinny in the summers. But you've seen the evolution of those summer skates. Now they have skills coaches on the ice and it looks more like an NHL practice. It's still not always great for the goaltenders um, because not all practices are, but it looks more like a formal practice for a period of time. And then they usually scrimmage at the end. And that's when you get into the shinny environment. We talked about Carey Price and being a guy that so many looked up to. Carey plays a ton of this. That's what he does in the summer. He, the skate in Kelowna that he goes to has evolved from pure shinny pure scrimmage to again like a lot of skates for pros now there is some structure at the beginning they hire a coach to come out and run a practice type environment but then they go into you know just just a scrimmage and he plays a lot of that in the summer and last i checked he was still you know the best goalie in the world or at least viewed in in that vein and you know and, and seen in that regard so it works for him it's a matter of sort of um, finding that balance and maybe not doing too much of one or the other. Same with goalie specific training. I right? remember the conversations with Carter Hutton. If if the if the environment is never dynamic, if you always know where the puck is getting passed to next, and hey, some of that's on goalie coaches for not creating dynamic drills. But if you always know A to B to C and then a shot, um, that's not realistic either. So uh, I think you're right, Hutch. You have to find some balance there, and sometimes that depends on what level you are at. Sometimes that depends on where your game's at. Marty Jones prime example right where he was at and what he needed uh he altered what he was doing based on it variation that that's what i'm getting out of this you have to find your own balance and your own ratio in that but variation is a pretty intricate important part of this 
and how you handle the different types, right? Like this is just like a bad practice in the NHL. Like how many goalies have we talked to? Like, oh God, like we have these endless rush drills and guys winding up from the hash marks. You have to find ways. Like if you just go out and play shinny all the time, like there, you have to find ways to work on certain things just like you would yeah. uh, in a bad practice. Yeah, I think the variety is important and I think it has to be tailored to the individual, Darren. Um, yeah, Carey Price can go out and play play all the shinny he wants in the summer because when he gets back on an NHL sheet, it's like riding a bike. Like he's done it so much for so many years. That's all ingrained and he's going to be absolutely fine. If you're trying to make that leap though, maybe it isn't such a great a great thing for you to be doing. Who are you as a goaltender, as a person, and what is it that you're trying to accomplish going forward? I really believe, as I've said before, that training needs to be periodized in the sense that you go with segments of your training throughout the calendar year in different cycles, depending on the development that's required at the time. So, so maybe, as it is, I think, for, for a lot of goaltenders, the summer is for skill development. And you can really focus on some of that one-on-one time with a goaltending coach. Then you need a period where you can ingrain that into your game so that you're able to apply it um, on the ice when you get into a game. So that evolves your training a little bit more. So I think it's something we'll never have a perfect answer to. And I think uh, the important thing is that whenever you're doing any training, you you recognize that there's advantages and disadvantages, and and uh, you know you take it all with a grain of salt and incorporate it as you need to. This makes me wonder why why we don't address listener questions more. People want their question or their query addressed. How do we go about doing that and helping them out? For the most part, if it's like this, guys, uh, podcast at ingoalmag.com. But today's came through to info at ingoalmag.com, awesome. probably through the website uh, or maybe even my own address. And then if you're on some of our social media asking questions, you're probably going to get a, a more immediate, although briefer answer. Brevity is overrated, right, Woody? Yes, I'm. I'm. I concur. For the first time, I'm going to be brief in my answer. Screw you two. I thought you were going to be the ultimate. You could have said yes. Like Todd McClellan brief after yeah. Game Three uh, when he when he did his post game. I thought that was what we were expecting. The only guy that I was... know that's got a three paragraph yes, Woody. <laughs> Good on you. Sh- you guys should see me order Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have. That's not a that's not a drink. That's a paragraph. <laughs> uh, they just read it off. They don't have to give the name. They just read it off, and and then you go, okay, that's me. Uh, they don't have to, even have to get your your name right or wrong. Uh, source for Sports Surrey, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, bring you Ingle Radio, the podcast. Our gear segment this week, uh, dealing with the Brian's Genetic X5 gloves and pads. Uh, this is available, uh, obviously, on this podcast as well as on our YouTube page. And uh, you've got a you've got a good one here, uh, Woody. Yeah, uh, we're getting into the second price point stuff from Brian's. Obviously, Brian's Genetic line launched. The Genetic Five line launched back in the fall. We talked about it then. Uh, as we come into the spring, Brian's doesn't launch their pro level gear in the spring like other companies. Like I said, it's in the fall, uh, but they do have a launch coming with the uh, second price point gear and. I got to say, this is one that um, we're paying more attention to now here at Ingold Mag uh, and IngoldMag.com and, and in our segments with the hockey shop, uh, in the gear segments that you can find on Instagram, TV, YouTube, as you mentioned. Please go you know, hammer that subscribe and like button in both spots. Um, and, and I think it's important because the reality is, as much as we focus on the expensive stuff, for a lot of goalies, whether it's young goalies or beer league goalies, this is, this is the price point that, that works for them. Uh, and we continue to see 
improvements in this price point, both in performance and quality. Um, and I think you're going to see that here in this Brian's X5 product as we go over it with Cam. Just uh, you know, another company that understands that they need to find that balance between you know a good quality product without pro level pricing. Um, you know, again, whether it's for beer leaguers or for young kids, and I think Brian's has struck a nice balance here. And you know, Cam will give us more details in this week's gear segment. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. And it is that time of year when we have new gear coming in. We've focused a lot on the pro-end stuff, but we never want to forget the second price point. And we've got a new one here from Brian's that bang for buck in value. I'm looking at some of the features that trickle down from their pro, which you have there. Correct. I've got the genetic X5 here. This is the next price point down. Let's start with what you are getting, and let's include what you aren't getting, because mm-hmm. um, obviously there's a reason it's significantly cheaper, but how's that going, who it's for, how's that gonna manifest itself? Give me the big differences between the Genetic X5 and a Genetic 5 Pro. All right, Brian's continues to you know produce their well, high-end quality offshore equipment uh, manufactured in the Philippines. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's at uh, they've they've developed some ties with the Rawlings factory, which helps especially on the glove end because you got people that have that are working on this product that have been making gloves for one of the biggest baseball you know glove factories in the world for Correct. a long time. So nice easy transference. So transfer for the overall pad. So one of the you know better changes I think this year, Brian's done a better job at differentiating their two offshore lines with truly having a softer flex pad. Um, before the two cores of the pads were kind of very very similar it's finally started to separate itself with having the optic and the optic x2 um which is still a current model and on the wall but uh with the brian's um the genetic series in particular again a little bit more of that flexibility um something just in terms of overall feel on the leg you get a bit more of that connectivity to it in that sense um you still do get their primo slide surface, something that we've checked out on in goal and at the hockey shop and reviewed them all you know, before. Um, aiding in that slideability of the pad, also it is a durability feature too as well. That One of the better does. ones. Like yeah. One of the better surfaces we've seen in terms of combination of durability and, and just you can tell the difference between this and, and their old you know sort of stock uh, material. This Correct. slides better. Yep. So moving on to the back side of the pad, it still continues with their strapping system, which we have become familiar with. So that's a refinement of that original smart strap. So now the two strapping systems themselves are identical now between the Optic X2 and these guys. Um, the shin of the pad itself has been raised just a little bit more. Nice, soft, you know, supple, comfy feel uh, on the inside of the pad. Still aiding, yes, aiding in that comfortability of that pad, but also in that overall feel and connectivity. Well, and which, which you obviously in a more flexible pad, having a little bit more connection, that, that to me, that matches hand in glove, pardon the pun. Hand in glove, wow, that's, I can't believe you used that one Speaking of pro features, I do we, you know, we're back to our old, our friend, I like the adjustable. Adjustable? Adjustable smart strap. There we go. Go, so, go screw Matt with. <laughs> that same bungee system that you see uh, on their pro pads, Again, trickles down to their offshore series. Um, easy system to do up, works well, available aftermarket. Same smart bootstrap as well, adjustable on the inside of the pocket. Um, in most cases, though, a lot of guys are just removing this and getting rid of it. So 
Uh, personal preference does kind of come into play there a little bit. And easy to do, yes. easy to remove. We've talked about it before, but we do like the fact that you can actually create a gap before your elastic toe tie. One of our favorite things and why we recommend it as an aftermarket option here at thehockeyshop.com. I do like to call out just the actual thickness of the core of the pad itself. Like the pad's still lightweight, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the foam that they're using, because it's a little bit thicker and it's a little bit stronger, this pad doesn't wear down as fast as some of the other you know, models that are out there in a mid-level. So I find that even like after a full season of use, Brian's offshore equipment still holds up and sits up pretty well. In comparison to the Pro Pad now, in terms of for that overall flex, one thing you will notice, like this doesn't have their Bri-Core carbon material, calling out the core in particular. So, you know, that is one of the major differences between, you know, going up to that higher end domestic Pro Pad versus this offshore. Um, however, when you start to look at the two, once again, you know, we're not too, too far off, which is uh, a nice call out, a nice feature, and, and it's an excellent price point available for you. A little softer on the flex, also a little softer, it feels like, down the inside edge and the stiffness of this. Correct. Um, you know, just again, like a soft, flexible pad. If that's what you're in the market for, uh, in some ways, this is probably a little softer and more flexible than even the Pro Pad. Correct. Stock off the wall, but obviously, because you can order custom, you can change that up at any time. Of course. So, gloves. Okay. Gloves. So, still, refinement. In terms of the glove itself, closer to the actual pro glove in terms of overall feel and stock fitment off the wall. You don't get the BOA system on the offshore, so kind of key important feature that you will find in the pro. So if that's your deal, you like that And if you feature. haven't used the BOA system before, man, it locks your hand in so beautifully. Uh, we're big fans. However, if that doesn't matter to you and you're looking for a bit of a friendlier price point, that's where that Genetic, uh, genetic 5X glove comes in. X5, there we go. Bit of a tongue twister. Overall feel right off the shelf. Again, to me, not too, too far off. I mean, a little bit break-in required, but that's with any glove. Um, again, I actually like the feel of this. This feels, you know, eerily reminiscent of a pro glove from, you know, a couple years past. So you can really see those advancements that that offshore, you know, equipment has taken. X5 blocker. Yes. Once again, no BOA, no bri core. So important call out between the two um as well so yeah rebounds are going to be a little bit hotter off this this is a stiffer board this is also a bit heavier because of that bri core as well so something that's not featured on that genetic five uh overall 5x however in terms of uh performability and fuel wise performability yes it's still the blockiest blocker that ever blocked you can't have two blockiest blockers that ever blocked that was last week well this one can be the blockiest blocker that ever blocked too Blockhead. All right. That's the Brian's Genetic X5 price point. We mentioned it's lower. How much lower? What are we talking about here? I know you haven't. These, these are just coming out fresh stock. Maybe haven't even determined that. I'm going to test you here. So what here's the best at? part. You can check them out live at thehockeyshop.com. We'll leave you on another cliffhanger. And sliding away. Brian's Genetic X5. It's amazing when you talk about this gear and this is the second price point, Hutch, and it's better than the top of the line gear one, two years ago. Like that's how fast it's evolving, even though it's the second price point. Isn't it incredible? Like what goaltenders yeah. have available to them today? Uh, of course, it's an expensive position to play, but the companies are giving you some options that make it uh, so much better um, if you if you need something a little bit more affordable. 
you and I would have absolutely killed to be able to wear this gear in 1984, wouldn't we? Yes. I, I actually, actually, I've said it almost in jest, but I, I mean it in seriousness. Six-year-olds have safer gear than we had in the 80s. Like, forget, like, the forget the 80s. Forget the 80s, boys. Like, like 20, like forget 84. Try 2014. Like, like in the last three or four years, the amount of improvements in this second price point and the amount of work that's going oh, it's into remarkable. them. Remarkable. Is, um, it, it should be applauded and not just Brian's. Uh, we've talked about CCM. We talked about uh, Bauer in particular, like some of the pro level features that they have on their second price point uh, product is remarkable. It's it's good for the game. It's good for the game. There's still that pressure, just like having the $300 stick. Um, there's still that pressure at the high levels yes. to play in pro gear. Um, but what we've seen and we've seen this, we've put um, kids out at bantam ages and high level bantam in second price point gear and they've gotten more than a season out of it so um this stuff works uh, especially the pads uh i would say that's the one thing you get a little more padding in the gloves a little more maybe um protection in the gloves at the pro level but the senior pads um maybe a little less durability but we've seen some lower price points go like two years at a really high level play where guys are on the ice like five times a week you're nodding, Hutch. Well, that Bauer set that we got that Kevin's referring to being used in high-level Bantam, my son used it in first-year Bantam, and that is now three and a half seasons ago. His goalie partner this year at U18 AAA wore that same set all season long. He wore it for some BCHL appearances as well, um, a, a fantastic young goaltender, and that gear still looks almost out of the box, quite honestly. It's, uh, it's going so well. I also did a little Yaroslav Halak on uh, on my Axis uh, pads and gloves while I was out. Darren with a little time on his hands, eh? Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. I've been I've been itching to get back. I've been waiting for for Woody to make the mistake and, and send me the the link uh, by accident and get me back on here. I did I did I did do some of that cleaning uh, things up. Hey, if you could, if I won't ask Woody this because uh, one, he started the position later than us, even though he's better than us. Uh, uh, but uh, better if than you us, could take dude. That, Dude, you're the only one playing against NHL shooters. Nice try. Bingo. I, I don't. I don't touch a lot of pucks, as I as I told uh, somebody the other day. Then it's you wouldn't really need to clean them, but you're them. cleaning them, Darren. I think you're better than you say. <laughs> what What's the bruise that bothered you the most? Was it the blood blister or the blood vessel in your palm uh, when you catch a puck wrong? The shoulders, the 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 thighs when you get a puck on the on the inside of of the pants. What, what was one the that bothered you the most for me it was no question it was the palm because the arms man did they hurt when we had not much more than those quilted pads but you could avoid getting hit in the arms but it's the hands were what we used for safety you get every a hand on every puck if you possibly can and once you get that really bad sort of bruise stinger right. in your palm you're getting another one and another one and another one um i won't drop any names here because it was told to me in confidence but i learned recently about an NHL goaltender who spent most of the season last year with that, even in today's wow. gear. Yeah. So to think I, I would use the practice palm all the time if I could. No kidding. Like for, for sure. Get, going back, just flashbacks of being uh minor bantam or major, uh, minor midget, uh, that, that, that scares me to go practice palm all day long, all day. Although the, the thigh bruises, those hurt, and the, the shoulder bruises, those hurt too. Woody, you have no idea what we're talking about. And I don't, I, like, I, I, that's a good thing for you, but you were spoiled. Woody lost his appendix to a shot. He's got reasons. 
That's true. I did lose my appendix. I did. That's that's a poorly fitting, not well tucked in chest protector that cost yeah. me my appendix. But so I guess I can relate a little bit the near death experience thanks to my wife. Not thinking it was serious, locking me in a room and 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 going into <laughs> septic shop shock in that room because she was worried I had the flu and didn't want the kids getting exposed. So sorry for telling that story publicly, hon. Um, but uh, honestly, like my first chest protector was a was a Reebok Premier One, like the P One model. That thing was bulletproof. Like so, I hear these stories and see these you know sort of like glorified felt um you know like arms on the stuff you guys are talking about i've never and that's the other thing too like i think because like your generation that grew up in bruises like the fear factor was a part of goaltending and the bruises were a part of it you guys are like ones that are all like still wear like like when i first started 20 years ago like the vaughn chest protectors it was like they came with bruises i'm like why would yeah. anyone ever wear that like i started in a premiere a reebok premiere and i've never gone back because i don't think it should hurt to play goal like every once in a while sure but like the amount that sort of guys in that those models especially again not the same now but even five six years ago where they're they show me their arms and they're all bruised and i'm like why like why mm -hmm. i don't get it i was thinking okay there's you know all the cool youtubers do collabs the two accounts get together they do something together so they can promote each other's channel there's a fantastic uh, Twitter account that we've mentioned on here before, Cooper Goalie, uh, puts together incredible tribute sets um, from all sorts of different old school goalies of different generations. He's got a whole garage full of gear to put these tribute sets together. I think we need a collab with Cooper Goalie where we can take Woody and dress him up in the old school gear and let him find out what it's really like, Darren. Uh, I, I will be there. You tell me the time, I will be there. <laughs> with a camera crew. With a I camera won't. crew and my, and my hired shooter. <laughs> I won't. Yeah. Darren's bringing in Eichel. Just yes. tickle him in the ribs a little bit there, Jack. I mean, this, this guy plays wearing a fiberglass mask if it fits the tribute. I just love what he does. It's, it's, it's amazing. One of the best uh, sets of all time uh, belonged to Bob Asenza with Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Uh, same era was Kirk McLean. And he is our feature interview this week on... Uh, the hockey shop, uh, the hockey shop.com source for sports, Surrey, uh, in Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, Kirk, uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, that that set with the Vancouver Canucks in those vintage years and those uh, high watermark years, Woody, uh, spectacular. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, he's been around the team as an ambassador for a while now. He's been back in Vancouver and obviously still an immensely popular figure here in this town. But that, I think it was two years ago, the 50th anniversary, the night where a bunch of the alumni came out. And when he skated out in that, you know, tribute set, it wasn't the original set. And I'll save the interview to let him explain. But um, tribute set that looked just like what he wore uh, back in back in his heyday in the, in the early 90s with the Canucks. Um, man, like there was a there was an emotional, visceral response like Kirk generates some of that in this market anyways. But to seeing him in that gear, like it was iconic. And just the way people reacted to it was like it was special. And you yeah. could feel it in the building. And so cool to catch up with him. Uh, not just about that, but about like how the position has evolved. He was kind of seen as one of the last stand-up goaltenders. 
Um, you know, interesting to make some points about never being injured, playing that style as others around him went to the butterfly and groins and knees, never had an injury, never had a groin injury. So lots of cool little details uh, and things, you know, that you can probably, there are lessons here that you can probably apply even if you're a kid or even if you're playing today, even if the style wasn't the same in terms of mental strength and some of the other things that helped him have the career he had. Sensorina, Sensorina VR, bringing us our feature interview, Hutch. They sure are, as they do every week. And one of the things I love about Sensorina, as you guys know, is the fact that they're continually updating the interface, the drills that are available, the different tools that are available in Sensorina to help you train as a goaltender. This week, they've added something new that's not really right in the system itself, guys, and that's a new app that you can get. And if you download the Sensorina app now, you've got access to all your stats as you're working within the system. There's new content getting updated. Uh, they say every day um, with tips for your training on and off the ice. Uh, you can get access to all the different training plans that they have for goaltenders. It's really your your tool to access your training, both for Sensorina and outside Sensorina, uh, to help you become a, a better goaltender. And that's just another tool that they've released. And uh, as we've talked about before, there's just so many things in there uh, to help you become a better goaltender. And there's no better time than right now to get into Sensorina. And that's because it's summertime, as we talked about, focus training so that you can step up to the next level this fall when you hit the ice again. Uh, we've all got some extra time right now. All you need is 20 minutes a day, maybe three, four times a week, and you will be a better goaltender uh, with the help of Sense Arena, all the different tools they have. So check out the app on the App Store, uh, check out Sense Arena, and if you want to get into it and find out all about it, uh, when you purchase your Sense Arena, Use the code IGM50 and you'll get a further discount uh, thanks to us uh, here at Ingol and our great relationship with Sensorina. And we thank them, as always, for their support. Amazing. Approaching the 200th episode and there's an app for everything, including getting Kirk McLean on via Sensorina, Sensorina VR. This is outstanding. The feature interview on Ingol Radio, the podcast. Really pleased to welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast, Kirk McLean, legend, National Hockey League legend, Vancouver Canucks especially legend. I can't believe in my home city that it's taken me this long to get you on the Ingle Radio Podcast, Kirk. 16 years in the NHL, 11 here in Vancouver, a whole bunch of highlights I want to get to throughout your career. Um, but what you may not have known after all these times, and, and you've helped me with interviews and quotes over the years, but I was there in 94 in Calgary pre-journalism career as a fan drove there with a bunch of buddies to watch that two pad stack high, save high school, descend into overtime. Yeah, university, university. university. Okay. So I'm I'm a little older. How you <laughs> doing? Thanks for joining classes. us today. My pleasure. It's but like you said, it's a long time coming. Uh, yeah. And I uh, see you every game. Yeah. Both time I had you on the podcast. So a uh, whole bunch of things I wanted to get into throughout your career. But you played in a different era. Yep. I want to talk about equipment, styles, and all those things that evolved while you were playing. But first off, let's just go back to the beginning. How'd you become a goaltender? I always love the origin stories for guys. It's usually one of a couple of things, gear or being a little brother. What was yours? Well, it was neither. Um, I just kind of fell into the position. I, I was a fan of a, of a couple goalies at the time, I, but I, I really started as a player. Um, um, and, and it was a... It was a a full year of uh, like a hockey academy or a hockey school where, you know, you're learning the, learning the game, playing all 
playing not all the positions because they didn't have any goalies in the school. So you're learning defense, center wing and all that kind of jazz and the rules of the game and what have you. And, and there was always a, a, a goalie school that would come on after it. It was, it was called the, um, Scarborough, uh, Scarborough Lions hockey school at Birchmount arena in, in Scarborough, Ontario. And this school, a hockey school came, our goalie school came on afterwards. And I was, you know, it was a time in the, you know, the seventies when the paint jobs on the masks were coming in. So that was maybe a little bit, I was attracted to, to, to that because, you know, when you played ball hockey or street hockey, you would get those street hockey masks and paint them up all the different colors. And, and, uh, and then the one particular, uh, instructor, you know, he had the puck machine, which I think he was a, you know, he's head of the game uh, at that point, and, you know, he had the brush cut, so he looked like a drill sergeant, and for some reason I was taken to it, and I would bug my father afterwards to watch these goalies, and and as as my hockey career went on, you know, the next the next year I, I, I play in Housley Hockey as a left winger um, for a full year, uh, you know, at whatever, six, five, six years old. And then the next, the following year in house league hockey, again, I fell into the goaltending position halfway through the year where we, we didn't have a goalie hands up and myself and another player split the second half of the season. And I actually made the all-star game for the, for the house league all-star game in a half a season. Um, so I did well at it and, and stuck with it. You know, I enjoyed it. And like I said, had, had that success at that time. And then, and then from, uh, I guess it would have been Adam, I guess, Adam, Adam uh, up on, I became a full-time uh, goalie. I, I worked my way up through, through the ranks of, of travel teams. I, you know, I started in, in the SHA, which was the Scarborough Hockey Association for the Agent Court Lions couple years there and then into the uh, MTHL, but the A division with uh, Don Valley Villagers and then made the big jump to the MTHL major, uh, the Don Mills Flyers in, in, uh, in peewee hockey. So what was it like at that? Cause you said we had goalie school, right? Like yeah. we, I think we think from your era, we think, ah, oh, they didn't have goalie coaches yeah. back then. And well, yet, they didn't here- really. I mean, that's, you know, I went through my whole minor career until, until maybe my second year midget where I finally had an, uh, I wouldn't even call him a coach. He was an advisor. And, um, of all people, the name was Dean Dorsey. I don't know if you remember the name Dean Dorsey. He's, he's more known for his, uh, place kicking ability, NFL, CFL, uh, university of Toronto, but he did play two years in Sault Ste. Marie in, in goal before he uh, decided to pack in his, his hockey career and, and uh, became a, a place kicker and punter in, in football and made a long career in uh, CFL and, and NFL. So I got, I, got a, I got a year and a year and a bit with him as, as uh, kind of the goalie consultant. So what was it? And you get into, like you said, Don Mills Flyers yeah. uh, in the MTHL and then onto the Oshawa Generals yeah. in, the, in the OHL. Yeah. There is some coaching. It's not like what we know today. But what was like? Were you also largely self-taught? Like how no, did you Oshawa, learn? I got. I, I, that's where I fell into my real first goalie coach. But it wasn't full time. It was a an ex uh, um, general legend, um, 
Ian Young was his name. And I don't, if you're if you're a goalie geek, you're gonna know who he is because he he played with Bobby Orr in in Oshawa, the times when you know they were the farm club of Boston at the time. His career was cut short with a Mickey Redman uh, shot in the eye, so he didn't lose the eye, but it blinded him pretty much a hundred about ninety five percent. So that kind of ended his career. No masks, obviously, back in those different days, day. right? Yeah, different yeah. era. So, so uh, he did go to to Boston's camp with trying to do it with one eye, and just found different cer- certain situations where he just couldn't do it, and and uh, ended up packing in at some point, and and you know went back to school and and became uh, he became a, um, an accountant uh, with with RBC, but uh, you know he would he would come in after work. Cause we'd always have practices after, after school and what have you. And, uh, you know, to this day we stay in contact. He's one of my best friends and we share the same philosophies and, and always have. And, and, uh, he tutored, uh, um, even through, even through my pro career, you know, when I, when I first started here in Vancouver, I had nothing in, in New Jersey, but when I got here in Vancouver, uh, you know, Cesar Maniego was, was, uh, somebody that would come in once in a while because he was off busy doing his own businesses. And then I, then I got lucky, you know, after uh, Glenny Hanlon uh, packed it in, um, he came on as, again, as a part-time, but quickly became an assistant coach. So he was there all the time. But that's not saying he, he did my goalie coaching all the time. You know, he, he was very good at uh, um, monitoring myself or whoever else was there. If, if we needed the work, we would do it. And he was just starting to get into the video part of it. But he, he knew I hated video, so he didn't bring me in for too much video. But uh, but yeah, um, you know that's the way it was, and 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 and, I, and I'm okay with that. I, I you know I think you know in our era, a lot different now, but but in our era, I think uh, a goaltender may have not wanted the guy around all the time. You know, there was somebody there obviously to to lean on and and ask questions and 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 talk to if you felt you were having a tough time and. And obviously give you give you some advice and maybe give you some drills to get through some of the, the bad habits that were creeping into your game. What were some of the focal points? Because I think it is a bit of a misnomer. The game has become so, I don't want to say overtaught, the goaltending 100% position. 100% overtaught. Okay, so there we go. I'll let you say it. Yeah. We definitely see that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, from seven, eight, like so technical the way the goaltending. What was it like then? What kind of things were you focused on? Were you guys like... Yeah, stopping like, the puck. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, as a kid, I... I patterned my game after Jock Plant and Bernie Perrant. So that's how I played. You know, I'd watch them on TV and I would try and emulate them on the ice. And, and uh, you know, even the coaches back then, it was all about your angles and standing up, standing up. You know, it's like anything else. They're going to read their books or, or what they needed to do to pass their levels to, uh, to, to coach in, in, uh, in minor hockey. And, and that's how, that's how you, you developed. Uh, um, most of the time, uh, it was a one goalie system. We didn't carry two goalies very often. And, and if we did, you know, we'd alternate, you know, all the time. It was, that was just part of being fair, I guess, back then. And, and then, you know, if you got into certain, uh, playoff games or, or playoff series and tournaments, the coach would have to make a decision then. But, but that's how I, that's how I did it. You know, I, you know, I, there was really no videos. There was a few books out there, but nothing nothing uh high tech and you know i just i guess went with whatever talent i had and uh and stuck with it until you know i had a proper goaltender that could uh 
you know, advise me on, on things that I needed to work on or, or, uh, um, things that I didn't, you know, could, could get better at. One year with Oshawa, then drafted mm -hmm. by the New Jersey Devils. Um, again, what's the draft like for you back then? Like, again, this is where we're, we're pre-internet. Like, did yep. you attend? Like, what? I did attend okay. actually, you know, it's it, back then goaltenders on average didn't get drafted till fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round. It was very rare that, you know, a goalie would, would be drafted in the higher rounds. Um, it started to creep in a little bit, probably in the, in the, the early nineties, I guess, you know, maybe late eighties, early nineties. Um, you know, in with New Jersey, I can remember vividly the draft was in Montreal, the old forum. My, my dad came with my minor hockey coach and, and, uh, at that time I had an agent, you know, we, we were introduced to Rick Kern and well, Bill Waters at the time were together and, and, uh, in midget hockey. And then, so I had him through junior hockey and, and signed my first, uh, contract and the rest of my career with Rick. But, uh, um, that was, so that was new to us, but being there, um, you know, having to sit through, I drafted in the sixth round, so it was a long day, you know, you, you get a little down, um, Craig Billington had been drafted in the in the the second round. I think he was he was first pick in the second uh, uh, first pick in the second round or something. One, he was high anyways because Craig was the Craig was the the premier goaltender coming out of junior hockey. He'd been Canada's uh, junior junior goalie for three years in a row, um, and had a you know a really good career with the Belleville Bulls and and then being drafted that high uh, when New Jersey actually went up and, and played almost a full season as an 18-year-old, and then was sent back down, which happened a lot in those years. It happened to John McClain, the same thing with New Jersey. It happened to Joe Sorella, the same thing with New, Jer with New Jersey. A player uh, that I also played with in, in Oshawa, Todd Charlesworth, it happened to him with Pittsburgh. It wasn't, uh, wasn't uncommon for, for a high draft pick to be called up the first year and play the whole year and then get sent back to, down to junior. We couldn't imagine that now, right? No. Well, I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't. Now. I don't think you can. The rules, have, I'm sure, have changed. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm in. I'm in there with the Montreal with some other uh, friends that were in the uh, the Rick Kern, Bill Waters uh, stable, and you know, we had a good time in in Montreal. Well, well, my mom and my not my mom, she didn't go, but my dad and and my uh, and my uh, minor hockey coach uh, Ed Robichaux, they they had fun themselves. I was going to say 107th overall. Nowadays, that'd be like high fourth round. Yeah, well, 32 teams. Right, right? big difference. Yeah, big difference. So first couple of years with New Jersey, yeah. um, what was that process like? What do you remember about turning pro? Was the was adjustment? Great. You know, they were great to me. I, you know, we had a we had a stable full of, of goaltenders uh, by the time I got to my first year pro. So we had Billington, myself, uh, Sean Burke, um, Chris Terreri, some big uh, names some big of names. that time. Uh, Alain Chevier was the goalie at the time. He was the sacrificial lamb. Uh, you know, they they threw him to the wolves for two or three years there after, uh, you know, our first camps when Chico Resch was still playing, Ron Lowe was still playing, Bob Sauvé was still playing, um, you know, and then Carl Friesen, who was who was out of Winnipeg, uh, um, Hanu Kampuri, a Finnish goaltender, uh, Sammy St. Laurent was there. He that came, is a he, he came deep in from list. The, yeah he came in from from the Detroit uh, uh, Adirondack and Detroit uh, uh, organization so so yeah so at the end of the day it didn't take a rocket science to figure figure out one of us was going to move <laughs> you know you, you have a lot of you have some commodity there where you can make some moves and 
and which they did. And, uh, you know, eventually got their goaltender in, in, uh, in, in Martin Berdur, right? So heard of them, you know, so, uh, it worked out, you know, their two cups or whatever they, they, they got there. And, and, uh, you know, Sean had some, a couple good years with, with, uh, New Jersey before he moved on and Chris Terreri, you know, mainly as a backup, um, and, uh, and Craig, and then, you know, Craig went on to, have a successful NHL career. He, he didn't. Uh, he didn't quite get to the the starting level, but uh, you know he he did at the beginning at least, and and then fell into a nice position, uh, especially in in Colorado where he finished. You get traded to Vancouver and acquired by Pat Quinn, yeah. um, the legendary Pat Quinn. What was that adjustment like? What was that relationship like? Like it feels like, and I don't know if this is just Pat. Mm-hmm. But looking at it now, and obviously I come from a lens of, you know, back then I was a fan. I was a kid. Yeah. I wasn't covering it like now. But it feels like the relationships were a bigger part of it back then, totally. especially management to players. Totally. It, it wasn't that big of a deal coming to Vancouver because it was, I was going into my second full year of pro. I played most of the, my first year pro down in, with Portland, Maine and the, and the farm club. And then through the season, because we had Terraria, myself, and Billington, we rotated up through the, through the year. Um, so we'd get a couple months each up, up with the big club. And Lane Chevy, like I said, was the starting goaltender. Played my first games, by the way, uh, at 19. After my last year junior, we got beat out. So that's where I got my first win. And that, those are good stories too. But, but getting traded here, you know, knew nothing about Vancouver. Uh, I'd been as far as Calgary in the Max Midget Tournament. Pro wise, never really left the eastern uh, the eastern uh, time zone, and and uh, the only thing I really knew is I had Greg Adams coming with me, uh, telling me what to expect, and uh, other than the fact that my dad would listen to Foster Hewitt at ten at night when the Leafs were out here in Vancouver. That's that's pretty much all what I knew about it, and and but was uh, certainly pleasantly surprised when when we landed at night and then woke up uh, in the morning at the old Sheraton Villa, uh, which is now a casino, to hop on the bus to, to go to Duncan for my first training camp here in Vancouver. Well, 11 seasons here, and you're back here. I should have mentioned it off the top. An ambassador with the franchise, um, still actively involved with the alumni here. So obviously, the city left an impression. Sounds like it created an immediate impression. Totally. You know, I fell completely in love with, with the city. Um, did a lot, a lot of it have to do with whatever success I had? I'm sure it did, you know, and, and, and being here for the better part of 11 years, you set your roots down pretty good and you're, you're networking and your, your, your friends outside of hockey that, uh, that you, you make, uh, it becomes your life. You know, I, I, I still have tons of, uh, high school friends and junior high school friends back in Ontario that I stay in contact with and get back there as much as I can to, to visit them and, and, and have a little bit of fun, you know, and, and my, my parents were better past now, but my parents were back there. So obviously wanted to get back to see them. My sister's back there with the rest of my nieces and great nephews and nieces and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I, this became home and, and I can, you know, I can say I've, I've lived here longer than I grew up in, in Ontario. Yeah. I grew up in Ontario in Toronto area, but lived here uh, longer, uh, through my adult. We know you as fans, as Captain Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> How did that nickname start? I'm curious. I'm curious. Well, I, 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 think, I, I, I think that. it. I think it. You know, to do with the Star, Star Trek, Trek. Star okay. Trek uh, character. That's how it 
I think how it got labeled and you know it's that's a good one to have I guess it could be could be something something different that, that you don't want to be labeled with but uh, I'm okay with that and you know later later in 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 uh, in my career you know getting into uh the Calgary playoffs when uh, you know Jim Houston's uh, and or um you know his his uh, old saying great save whoever it may be McLean or great save Bird or whatever you know that's kind of in some parts of my life uh other friendships they've labeled me with great save or save as uh, as my other nickname but uh I'll take either or I would take great. I would, especially <laughs> if they do it with the Jim Houston voice, because there's nothing better than Jim Houston's great save McLean. Um, 94, obviously the run that I talked about going to Calgary yeah. and that was a special group. Talk to me about Pat Quinn as someone who yeah. brought you in as a general manager, but yeah. then also became your coach and what made that relationship special. And like I said, maybe a little bit different than what we see now. There seems to be a separation between yeah, player and yeah. coaches I mean, and Pat, management. Pat brought us, you know, myself and Greg in. Obviously, we were his first trade when he when he when he got here as uh president GM. And um, you know, the connection there was because of Brian Burke and Bob McCammon. You know, Brian at the time was a player agent, just come, you know, uh, finished his career and finished his schooling at Harvard and, and, uh, was starting a, a new career in, in the, the player agent business and, and Bob McCammon being, uh, you know, the legendary, uh, hockey mind, uh, that he was, was scouting at the time, I believe with Edmonton, um, had a place in, in Portland, Maine, actually Steve Tajura, who was our, our captain, lived in his place and and my roommate at the time was was Dave Anderson Glenn Anderson's uh uh brother so so Brian obviously saw me a lot and and KG um being a being a pro score a pro scout uh saw me a lot so I really truly believe they were very instrumental in in the trade because uh, I was kind of the throw in if you will Greg had already established himself as a as a scoring winger uh, for two years, uh, two years or so with with uh, with New Jersey, and I was kind of like the the throw-in young goaltender. Um, you know, whether I was going to make an impact right away or they could put me into Fredericton for a few years to develop, but uh, they gave me a chance right off the bat. You know, I, I landed here, and the King was uh, was still the guy. Um, you know, he was near the end, but he was still the guy, and and uh, Frank Caprice was here. Uh, uh, Wendell Young had just left and, uh, we went with the three goalie system there for a while and, and, um, Frank got sent down and then it was, it was Richard and I, and then at, at the uh, trading deadline, my first year is when, when Pat moved, uh, moved Richard to Hartford and Steve Weeks came in and, and I think at the end of the day, that was probably, uh, nothing against Richard or anything like that, but that for me, it was probably the best thing for my development because, um, weeks he was coming in, not really to challenge me for my, for the number one job, but to tutor me. He was an amazing, amazing, uh, professional. And I really learned a lot from him. Is that something like, as your career went on, like that mentorship component, we see different relationships. Yeah. Even today, you'll see different relationships between two goalies at different stages. How important is that? Oh, I think it's very important. And, you know, weeks, was near the end of his career as well. So we played two years together, but he, he really did show me how I was just, a, you know, still wet behind the ears, a little. You know, I don't want to say out of shape, but a little, little on the the baby fat side still, and and uh, you know he was he was in phenomenal shape, and and uh, you know super hard worker, just 
positivity coming out of his his ears and his his nose any anything and and um you know i would just by watching him what what he did you know before practice after practice to make sure his game was on top of what, the way he wanted it to, i don't want to i don't want to say it was a little lazy at the beginning i you, some people may may say that well, so, you know? so we hear that all the time even yeah. today like what it takes to be a pro yeah. is not would usually takes a little time to learn that for it, a lot of guys it, it does and and uh you're semi given the the number one job right off the bat as a 20, 20 year old, twenty one year old. You know, even when I came here, when we had the three goalies, I still got in forty three games or so my first my first year. So that's pretty darn good. And um, you know, I'm thinking maybe then big time Charlie. You know, I've made it and this is easy. And this is easy, yeah, exactly. But uh, it's not the case. And and uh, you know, watching Weeksy what he did, and you know. It, and maybe a little bit of a talking to after year one from from Bob McCammon. Um, you know, I came back next next year and and lost a ton of weight, in good shape, and and uh, you know went 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 with it from there. Style. Mm-hmm. I always like. I, I think, I think I've seen you referred to as the at one point the last sort of last of the standups. Right. Um, you're playing the way you grew up playing at a time when that transition had sort of started, you know, obviously with Patrick. Mm-hmm. And then I think I, I want to say, I want to, I started learning about the vision in the early 2000s. So yeah. towards the end of your career, yeah. and that's where, you know, butterfly mechanics and this sort of modern evolution really took off. Right. What was it like for you sort of being in between like having your style and knowing that it works and work really well for yeah. you? But as you watched others sort of transition around you, were there conversations? Did you have playing partners that were adopting some of the newer stuff? What was that not, like back not then? Not really, you know, because everybody's you know, still I, doing it. Everybody was, you know, I had Kay Whitmore for five years, the two of us together. Um, and we played similar styles. You know, he he was we same philosophies and and uh you know Walk me through a couple of, like, when you say philosophy, because I think there's going to no, be a generation. No, I'm just talking of, angles, you know, angles, angles and positioning. Cut, positioning, cutting the angles down, you know, out of your crease, backing in as the play comes with you. A little retreat. You yeah. know, giving yourself uh, to be able to move laterally so you're not flat-footed. A little um, flow. A little flow to your game and, and making saves like a two-pad slide. That was part of our arsenal. You we guys were, practiced we, that. We were, exactly. We were taught that as a kid. A desperation move, don't get me wrong, but that's what it was there for, to get across as fast as you could. You know, if we could get across uh, in a half butterfly or, or on our feet, more power to us, right? But, you know, in, in certain plays where you just couldn't do that, you threw your body across, and, and, and that most, most often did the job. Um, but players pick up on that quick too, right? And the game was starting to get faster. You know, even, even you know, when I, when I played with Artie Urbe, you know, there's a guy that butterfly and move laterally, but he, you never knew if he was butterflying or if he was standing up because he was crouched so, so, so well. And he was such a great athlete and so strong on his feet. You know, it, it looked like he was butterflying, but I think most of the time he was standing up. And then, and then at the end, when, when I was, uh, you know, in New York, Mike Richter, stand-up goaltender, couldn't butterfly worth a lick. You know, he'd go down on a butterfly and there was no butterfly. He'd be just down on two knees. Right. Um, so, again, there was a guy that we, we shared pretty much the same philosophy of, of, of cutting the angles down, standing up as much as you could. Um, he was extremely strong on his feet as well, especially laterally, and could get across quick, but did come into a lot of injuries. 
especially later, you know, lunging maybe a little bit too much because he didn't have a lot of flow as the play was backing in. Um, you know, like sometimes it bothers me the amount of injuries that goaltenders get. Like touch wood, I, I I never pulled a groin, never pulled a hamstring, never, never, wow, not once. That's remarkable. You know, and and never really stretched. You know, I would you come out for for warm ups and stuff like that. You know, I I go down on the ice and pretend I was stretching or put one leg up on the boards and make it look good for the crowd and that kind of stuff. I, but I wasn't really stretching. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, you could say I was naturally limber um, to a point. But, but, but I, do you look like when you see the injuries now? I mean, we're, I think we're going to hit 120 oh, goalies it, in the league. You know, year. it's like, the butterfly's not a natural part of the human no, body. No, it's not. But, the, the, you know, the size of the guys now, and, you know, the game is obviously most of it played down low. So they want the goalies in the butterfly and the six foot four plus goaltenders because they cover more than that up top. Uh, mind you, they're getting beat a lot more now. Um, that's the theory. That's the the analytics, if you will, which is another thing I do not like. Um, um, but uh, they're amazing athletes now. I mean, but they're being taught that as kids at a young age, and they're making these moves at a young age, and their their muscles haven't even developed yet. So they're they're getting hurt in midget hockey. Yeah. Prior to prior to even going to college or or junior hockey, we're seeing hip. We're hearing hip surgeries at eleven and twelve. It's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Major surgeries at that age, you know, it, and and you wonder why that, that you know they're 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 taking a while to 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 break into the league as far as a number one goaltender. Like, not very often do you see a number one goaltender coming in at 22, 21, 22. Usually in the twenty four, basically in the peak of their career. So they're coming in and they're going to hit it right off the bat until they get to not a lot of whatever, lead up thirty yeah. forty. There's not a lot of lead up, so. You know, it bothers me. It bothers me to that point, you know, the way that, that uh, the drills and the, the movement of the goaltenders, it's, it's fun to watch because there's no damn way I'd be able to do it. You know, just looking at it, it, it hurts me. But it's just incredible the way they can move side to side in their butterfly position. Mind you, the equipment's different now. But the, I wanted to ask you the, about the, that the too. The equipment, the pads are made for that. Uh, the skates are made for that. And, you know, I I would... I'd beg to differ a goalie in today putting on pads that I wore to be able to do that. I bet you they couldn't do it. Well, no, I mean, we've seen, you know, the landing gear when it was first invented and the idea of a pad that, like, I I remember Mitch Korn once telling me when he used to scout that he looked for, he he called it contortionability. And he's like, I don't even look for that anymore because as soon as they drop, the pad does it for them. Buffalo, <laughs> talking about a contortionist, but he did it with knee rolls and everything. Yeah, the pads were so, so tight; yeah. they 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 moved with your leg. Yeah. They didn't rotate around yeah. it back then. Now they, I mean, I can't believe how loose the pads are on the goaltenders. I can't, I I, w- I wouldn't be able to move. It would what? feel so weird. Like it would feel so weird, weird making a move and and like you got to flip your pad back because it's not in right position. I hate that. That would drive me nuts. Well, if you get them set up right with the new ones, they do rotate back yeah. automatically. We've got elastics <laughs> everywhere now, Velcro, yeah. no more leather straps, yeah. and they probably weigh about a quarter of his Yeah, a, but the skate, uh, the skate alone now, you know, there's no, there's no, no cowling. cowling or nothing. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's almost like a player skate, and, and, you know, the blade is still obviously a little bit longer and flatter, but um, it, with the naked eye, if you're just looking at it, you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know. What, what changed for you, like, maybe not personally, but through your time from an equipment standpoint, like would you, I remember I've had this conversation with Sean Burke, right. who, you know, similar era. Yeah. Do you remember 
or maybe it didn't, but was there a point where the fear factor started to disappear? Like you would have grown up in an era where it hurt to be a goalie. Oh, yeah. And do no, you never, remember when it started to change or did it just never, never go never, away? Never changed. And, and that's probably because I never, I never changed my body armor, anything. I wore it for pretty much the, my whole career uh, until the end when I was backing up and I was practicing a lot more and taking a lot more shots. So I, I, you know, I forced myself to get a new set of uh, body armor and double up my jock, if you will, you know, taking, yeah. taking too many of those, uh, through practices. But, uh, um, that was the only time, you know, when it, I had enough, you know, I, as far as getting pucks in the shoulder and whatever. So that was part like of, I, I used to cut stuff out of my equipment cause I wanted to feel the puck. I wanted to know where the rebounds were. I, it, it, you know, you watch the modern day guy and you know, everything they, they can't feel anything. I'm sure they do, but there's so many times where I they, try my best not to feel they, anything. They, Thank they, you very they, well, much. Well, yeah, but they, you know, there's so many times where they, where they, they, they try to swallow the puck, but the puck's to the right or to the left, and they think they have the puck. Yeah, because they, they don't know where it is. Yeah, they can't feel it. They can't feel it. Um, and and I wanted to know where the, the rebound went. You know, if it didn't go in the net, or if I didn't, I didn't uh, absorb it. But uh, um, I just had caps on my shoulders. Like, well, you look at me, you look at old photos of my, it looks like I'm, I got nothing on, you yeah. know, I wore, th- the, you're like I, the example that everyone now likes to yeah, show my, and say, Hey, this is what we need to get back yeah, to. Well, exactly. And I, and I had, you know, like a first baseman's glove, basically as a, as a glove, I, I could pull my glove right out of the box and wear it. No problem. And it would break down. I had to go through probably two gloves in a month because they'd break down so fast. Blocker, I could wear all season. All I do is just change the palm pads probably twice a year, maybe three times a year, but right out of the box, I could probably use the, pa- the pads. I have to say, I do, I do appreciate what the goalies do with equipment, uh, you know, with all the different uh, theme games and, you know, they, they're changing the colors of their pads and their gloves and their masks. And, you know, not just the fact getting used to that, but the superstition part of it, you know, for me, if I'm on a winning streak, the last thing I want to do is put on a different set of gear. I'm going to say, screw you. This stuff feels too good right now. My game's too good. I don't want to put something that's going to make me feel odd. Well, the guys do it now, and bless their hearts. I, you know, they they have fun with it, and and um, you know, I it's great for obviously for the game, selling the game, and and for the fans. But uh, there's no way in, in hell I would do that. Well, I want to get to one of the tribute sets that we saw here in Vancouver. Unfortunately, we won't see it tonight because yeah. he's injured in Thatcher Demko. But first off, you mentioned superstitions. Yeah. Did you have a few? What were you know, I, we, I had a few? Not, fine line nothing, between routine and superstition. Yeah, more more routine. Um, minus away from the game, uh, you know, the superstition would be more if you're on a winning streak, you, t- you drive drive the same route, right? You know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the same tie or something like that. Park in the same stall, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, it was more of a routine, get dressed left to right. Um, I never liked having a water bottle on my net when they brought, when you were allowed to. I didn't, it wasn't even, at the beginning, it wasn't even part of it. Um, the only so time, hold on, when you started in the NHL, you, there were no water no bottles, bottles on the, on the, on and the they obviously there. didn't have the Gatorade no, loop no, in the back. It, then it was just you know put the water on the on the top, and then once in a while you know yeah, somebody you, did, one you on just you. didn't you didn't want that. No, I didn't want that. I didn't like it. I didn't like it's drink- hydration an issue. Like it's um, hot out there. That may, it maybe became a superstition, but I would do it. I'd get my drinks and t- when when I you know a delayed penalty or something or TV timeout that type of thing. Uh, even in between periods, I only really. I'd have like one cup of water. That would that would be it. 
I, I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't. I felt it waterlogged me down if I drank Slowed too much. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, the early years when we had the leather pads, they were waterlogged. And then when the synthetic stuff started to come in, the early years, they still got waterlogged pretty good because they hadn't, you know, they hadn't. Uh, they didn't have, they weren't foam. They were still stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't want to overdo it. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, some some players, and that, let alone goaltenders, have major, major superstitions. Now. I want to I want to talk about that gear because the gear that you wore in '94 sort of became iconic here in this mm-hmm. city. And two moments: one, the 50th anniversary when you skated out yeah. in that gear or in a replica version yeah. of that gear. And just walk me through what are your memories of that? There was such a visceral reaction from this fan base and the connection. Obviously, the connection is to you, Kirk. But I think they also connected to that equipment. Like it, well, it became yeah. iconic. Well, the, the the colors of the the gear and the and the and the jersey itself and the, you know, it it it, it was unbelievable, is what it was. And it was. Uh, I, I have to say, I was a little nervous when when they told me this is what they wanted us to do because one, I hadn't I hadn't played goal since the day I retired. You still play, but I, always I, out. Always out. Two, I had. No gear. So that was all replica except for the mask and the stick. Three, I hadn't, skate, hadn't skated on goalie skates in 20 years. Now, did you find, I, can, I know about the equipment because I helped yeah. facilitate yeah. sort of finding the replica yeah. set, but did you end up in modern goalie skates like cowlingless or did you uh, find no, they're something? Cow, they're cowls. They're, they're, they were Dan Cloutier's old skates. Okay. So, so probably so, old Cohos or Reeboks, I'm guessing. They're, they're, I know Bauer. they're actually Bauer. Oh, they were Bauer. Okay. Yeah. And which I used. Um, so, but they, but the the uh, the boot was a little different. I I had a like a stiff boot, a high yeah. boot. And this these ones had like the little soft areas in the back and no support really at the end of the day. So I'm out in the night before taking a spin around with these things, getting used to one different back to a flat blade and and a different different boot. And then I slowly put on the pads because the pads that yeah. knee stack. If you never played with a knee stack, yeah. even though it's a yeah. replica look, that yeah. knee stack for a skating goalie. Yeah. If you're not used to it, you can no. you can sort of so, they, it crosses over and hits. This was just walking out into the ice with those things on. It was like I had to open my legs so far apart. You know, it was like this feels really weird. Then and then on the ice trying to skate, it was like this is um this is ridiculous. And I used to I used to use. 34 pads, 34 inch pads. Now, 34 inch pads now aren't the same as 34 inch pads back then. 34 inch pads now are more like 37 inches, 36, 37 inches. And so they were pretty high on me. So that was another thing to get used to. So having said that, I'm out there the night before the, 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 the band or whoever else is, they're rehearsing and I'm skating around <laughs> doing figure eights, trying to get used to everything. And I, and I said to my wife, I go, I got. I got to do this again in the morning. I, you know, this isn't going to be. You're enough. nervous about it. I'm a little nervous. You know, that's twenty thousand it, people. It's, it's I'd a long be nervous. Skate, it's long skate from from behind the net to to the to the uh, blue line, and so the next morning after pregame skate, same thing. I got. I got to put the gear back on and go out f- just half half a gear just to go out there and you know get make sure I get my feel and 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 that's those and were lessons worked. about being a pro that you learned early exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. And and uh, you know then I found out that. Steamer did the same thing. I didn't know that. He, he went out and skated uh, uh, in the morning, and uh, Dennis Kearns, who hadn't skated a while, did, did the night before as well. He started with a walker. 
really? just to get his balance. It's been, it's you know, it's been, been that long. long. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, uh, so everybody, you know, that same thing goes through their mind. Nobody wants to embarrass themselves, right? It's an important moment. See, yeah, you know? I mean, and, it's, and, a big, and, it's a big celebration for the franchise. The place is packed. Yeah. Everybody's celebrating. Yeah. I mean, it was, it brought chills, frankly, as a guy who grew it, up it, it, as a fan it, of you it, in it that gear. brought chills down my mind. And then, then you get out there and you're just like, okay, shit, I want to play. <laughs> and and I'm standing beside Steamer and I think it was, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Stetcher that was beside me. And he's like, this is, you know, using profanity. He's just, this is effing awesome, right? And he's just, he's in the moment. And Steamer and I were sitting there, we we're going, well, I want to play. And he goes, I want to play too. And I said, what if I go, what, what if after the national anthem, we just stand here? <laughs> You go, you go, you go. Take the face off. Go to center. We'll, I'll go to the know, net. We'll get, we'll get Bird on one side, and we'll, Dennis will be on defense. You know, we'll set it up a whole line. It would have been cool if the league allowed us to do that, just for a photo op, just to take the face off like that. Just not, not even with an opposition, just to stand there and get an above shot. That would have been, that would have been so cool. But, but even turning around to come skate off the ice, you know, you still got to concentrate to get off, right? And yeah. it's, it's like then you get off, and it's like we did it, and. You know, it was a big smile. It was a, it was a wonderful time, and 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 uh, like I said, that was that's the only time I've been back in goalie gear since I retired. I'll only do it one other time, and you know, I say that now, but is if we get a heritage game or if we're involved in a heritage game, and if they ask me to play a period or whatever um, for an alumni, the, yeah, yeah, like, that will that was the only downside of when we had that the yeah, quote unquote but, outdoor game at BC Places there because uh, of the Ottawa, ice concerns in Ottawa. You know, Ottawa. I don't know what kind of alumni base they had. Uh, I don't even know what the issue was, but um, but if if we you know are lucky enough to be slotted into other than the Toronto, Montreal, and you know Calgary, Edmonton every single time, or Toronto, Detroit, or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, mind you, I'd have to what train. I'd have to train for about six months. So well, I may be calling you. You may be. You may be doing. We, we got some guys that can and help Clarky. you. And there's a set of gear downstairs mm-hmm. that would just look perfect on you. Take yeah. a little adjusting to get used to, yeah. but it might be a little taller than you're used to. But what did it mean to you when you saw Thatcher? And I know yeah. you reached out to yeah. see him wearing a gear. I know it's not the same brand, but yeah. lo- you know, just to have that oh, look. CCM out there did a wonderful job. You know, you know, he texted me in the summer and and asked if I'd be okay because they're going to do this theme night and uh, replica night. And I said, damn straight, man, that'd be awesome. And what a classy guy and a classy thing to do to, to even consider, uh, you know, texting me and asking me if it would be okay for him to do that. And boy, he pulled it off and CCM pulled it off. Um, it freaked me out when I saw him in the full gear. I saw him, you know, wearing the gloves here and there, but when he, when he came out that the, 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 the mask, the too. mask, everything, you know, was just bang on and, you know, right, right to the stick, you know, the wood, the wood grain yep. stick and, and they, you know, a few pictures that you saw on social media side by each, you couldn't really tell that he was four inches taller than me, but, uh, it was, <laughs> he made it a was, couple it was, old school saves so he too. Did. He, yeah. he did. And, you know, even kind of stacked the pads once and the, the, uh, it was just a great night. And of course the team came out and just had a, an awesome night and uh, against a rival, a rival me yeah. back in the day. And, and uh, it couldn't have it couldn't have been a better night. And you know, I was you know proud of him, obviously, and proud of the team. I know we got to wrap this up because you got to go. But I wanted to ask you: Is there guys that you like watching today? Like I know the style's different, everything's different. Yeah, but who you do know, you love? They're to all watch? good. You know, I I love watching Thatcher. You know, I I'm a big fan. I love his demeanor. I love his positional play, and that he's a student of the game. 
Um, he always wants to learn and he's always getting better, you know, Vasilevsky and, and I like watching him as well. Um, you know, I was in the alumni box uh, the other night and Glennie Hanlon was up there and we looked at each other and he goes, damn, they're all good now, aren't they? And it really is. I mean, they're, you know, even, you know, the backups are fantastic and they're, 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 they're such great athletes and, and, and they really are good. The game is so fast now. You know, the, the pucks, everybody can shoot the puck. It's not, you don't have to worry about, you know, two or three guys per team. It's like every single, every single puck carrier or puck shooter, that, you know, first line, fourth line, they can all do damage. We do see the occasional pad stack. Yeah. I don't know that it's authentic. When you, like, is there anyone that still stack it? Like, you no. guys used to practice it. Yeah. Do we need to have Kirk McLean's pad stacking school for some of these guys? Because no, it's a little awkward. No, I don't time. think so. But I... You know, I do truly believe that the game's going to, it's going to revolve and, and there's going to be a hybrid type of goaltender. I think you're starting to see it a little bit more. The goaltender's starting to stand up a little bit longer than Patience usual. Patience is a big part totally. of it. Totally. And, and when they start to realize that, you know, they're big enough, they're big enough and, and, and it's easy enough for them to get down on the butterfly if they have to, um, you know, because guys are now shooting short. There's, I've seen see so many short side goals now. And and you'd be making awesome. I mean, bad goal, bad goal here. Now it's just like, well, that's just analytics. They tell you to shoot there, and if and if you hold your position and they beat you, they beat you. That was me back in the day, cutting cutting the angle down. If it, they beat you, if they beat you on the angle, it's a good shot, especially if it goes off the post. And, and I, I also think there's is there a the shooters have been trained to look for so many specifics within those butterfly mechanics. Yeah. Anybody that throws you a different look sometimes, whether it's standing up or holding their skates or even flower will go like both, you know, yeah. stand straight up at the post with yeah. both legs together like you guys yeah. used to do. I, I think in the Bakoff every time I see him do yeah. it, you know, flower made like a dozen of those last yeah. year, just guy coming down the wing and they're, they're looking for short side high and he just leans into the post with both legs together. Yeah. Like there can be an element well, that's of just surprise. That's experience from, from him. Right. And, and, you know, yeah, the, the players are, are, told you know all the scouting reports and all that but i i don't believe in for a word that when the guys have the puck that's what they're thinking they're just thinking shoot the puck try and score they're not you know goalie has brown eyes he's got a weak glove hand you know that type of thing you know it's it's like any old time even back in our day they had scouting reports on the goaltender you know he's mine was always between the legs and you know that seemed to be my achilles uh heel but uh um you know, I'm sure they have. He's weak high, or he's 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 weak. You know, weak low right, or whatever it may be, and and that'll never change. Um, you know, that's just hockey. There's stuff happens. There's there's 17 games within one shift to be able to an, pull off analytics for that is, is you're doing something that's way over my head. <laughs> it's the goalies that can read all those different elements right. and figure out those patterns, whether it's your era, the era before you, or the era after you, yeah. that are the true difference makers. Yeah, and, and you know what? As a goaltender, at the end of the day, it's all about stopping the puck. Who cares how you do it? We'll finish where we started. It's all about stopping the puck. Kirk McLean. There are so many other stories I want to get into. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about Vessi and Dewar as well, oh, because <laughs> I, I know you're a brand ambassador, especially yeah. for Vessi. Yeah. And if you live in Vancouver, these shoes are waterproof and they're the best thing in the world because I, I live in them when I'm at yeah, home. Yeah, they really are. The they're, you know, they're, and they're comfortable. Uh, they're stylish. You, know, you, you, can, you can dress them up, dress them down. And uh, you can throw them on a suit. I've actually worn them on the bottom of a you, suit, like the sneaks. They're absolutely you know, totally, man. And 
I just mentioned that they're Chelsea boot for for you when you go for your dog. Walks. I've got it. I've got it earmarked. So, <laughs> um, a lot of stories too that we didn't get a chance to get to. Mm-hmm. Guys, you played with. I guess that just means we'll have to have a part two. Took me long Absolutely. enough to get part one, but we'll have you back some day, sometime Looking down the road. To it. Thanks, Kirk. Okay. Part two, part three, four. This is, I mean, this is a mini series. Kirk McLean has a mini series written all over him. Like of our generation, there's not many guys who want to talk, can remember everything, and are are so passionate about the position as as Kirk McLean. There's there's guys that, that love it, but Hotch, that was fascinating. I loved every minute of it. And it was incredible, as you say, how much he remembers. That's what stuck with me. I started, you know, I always make notes as I'm editing this so I can try and remember something intelligent to say as we're talking here because I can't remember anything. And there he is listing off every goaltender who was in camp when he first arrived with the New Jersey Devils. And then he follows on with experience after experience. Uh, It's just fantastic how he's able to paint that picture for all of us and take us back to that time. And, And I just love that these moments, whether it's that 50th anniversary celebration or th- seeing Thatcher Demko in the 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 mock-up set. Um, I just love how it means so much to him. And it, it's great that he's able to to share that with all of us and that excitement that he has because, of course, we're all very excited to see him. I loved watching him play. I just, I couldn't play like that at all, but I loved watching him play. I drove all the way to Calgary to watch him play a Game 7 in 1994. Five guys piled into my Volkswagen GTI for that trip. It's actually started with uh, it's actually started with two cars and six guys. One car broke down halfway there, and he had to stay with it. And the, the remaining five of us went to Calgary. Sold that extra ticket. Um, had Poor a guy. really good time. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a heck of a time. We took the cooler. Didn't leave the cooler in the broken down car. Wow. Hope Prince. Hope hope the uh, hope Princeton Highway wasn't even wasn't even the Coquihalla back then. Actually, maybe oh, wow. the Coke was open, but we were on the Hope Princeton because we were poor, cheap students that couldn't afford a $20 toll. You lost more cars on one road trip than, than Kirk McLean Butterfly during that whole series. Yeah, yeah I'll <laughs> never forget. If it, there's some of the footage, um, the uh, the save, obviously, the uh, and we talked about that, obviously, there about whether these guys actually know how to stack the pads these days. We, we, we see, quote unquote, stack the pads in, in games now, but it's not quite the same. And when Burray scores the double OT winner against Mike Vernon on a pass from Jeff Brown, and they pan around the audience or pan around the crowd there at the Saddle Dome, there is a moment where you can see me and my buddies just whooping it up. Uh, we were rewarded for driving all the way to Calgary with a double OT win. I still actually somewhere I still have the Calgary Sun uh, newspaper and the ticket stub in a frame somewhere here, buried in the uh, the office archives from the next morning waking up somewhat hung over the next morning uh, and buying a newspaper so that I could clip it with my, uh, put it put it in a frame with the ticket stuff. What happened to the sixth buddy? Probably never spoke to him again. Yeah, I can't remember how long it was before. I mean, not a lot of room in a Volkswagen GTI. We could have put him on the roof. Oh, that's, uh, that's awesome. We've got an update uh, on Darcy Kemper, who we started the podcast episode with uh, being injured in uh, game three. Against the Nashville Predators, uh, two things uh, of, of real interest. Uh, the first being uh, all the talk about the cat eye and the stick going through the cage and causing the, the laceration to Darcy Camper. But there's a twist on this, Hutch. 
Yeah. I mean, first, there seems to be some indication that he's going to be okay, and this isn't going to be a significant injury, but that's just an initial report. But we're thankful to hear that. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more news by the time people are listening to this. Yeah, there's there's a great um, image that's available from uh, Andrew Nels at the Tennessean.com. And he captured the moment the stick went in there. And interestingly, it actually goes in that little slot beneath the cat eye opening, Darren. So, I mean, it's obviously it's a it comes part and parcel with that cage design, but it's not where you might have expected the extra large eye opening. Looks to me like it would be fairly easy to add just one little bar there to prevent a stick blade from going through without impacting your vision. So maybe that's something people will consider. Um, But yeah, most importantly, good to hear so far that things are, are looking better. Uh, I'm curious to see where we are next week on this conversation about the cat eye, the cat eye cage. Uh, the fact that there's two openings, you don't really think about that uh, right off the bat for a stick to get through. Yeah, I'd never uh, considered that. In, in that area, only adds uh, a little more uh, layer to this conversation, Woody. Yeah, and uh, again, the the best news, uh, Peter Baugh, who covers the avalanche for the uh, athletic uh, in Colorado reporting there's no concussion, although I don't think we would have expected that. Probably we're worried more about an eye injury, but he he has sources saying it, it's not expected to be serious. So that tells you that as scary as it looked, and anytime something rakes near your eye, you're going to panic a little bit, as Darcy appeared to be doing. Um, but it doesn't sound like there's any any serious damage. Uh, I won't return to the game, but you know it doesn't sound like it's long-term, and that's good news for Darcy. Um, but I would expect that I'll hear the same things I've been hearing every other time now that I've brought this up and said that there are people in the NHL with concerns, uh, because the injury isn't serious. They'll just say this doesn't happen often enough to worry about it. Record number of goaltenders appeared in the national hockey league regular season. We're on that pace right now during the playoffs. Uh, some of it because of coach's decision and some of it, uh, because of, uh, this situation involving Darcy Kemper, which uh, again, brings up the conversation about equipment uh what's going on over at the website hutch uh we have some uh some news and notes and latest offerings uh, by the way i love the seamus Kodak series that was awesome you guys still going the the finished shuffle is our latest yeah. little uh little skating warm-up drills talk about you know our beer leaguers talking to us about how how they can work on their game a lot of these skating drills that we have in here uh, are actually you know warm-ups that these guys do and you know to be honest with you you could probably incorporate to a certain degree some of them five minutes before a game rather than standing around and letting your teammates you know blast pucks off the glass behind you hit you in the head or drop you square in the nuts from five feet away um, you could probably do some of this crease skating and actually get better in those five minutes before the puck drops. Uh, yeah, I might be speaking from experience. They're not naming names. <laughs> Tre- Trevor. Um, if you're listening, Trevor, <laughs> Trevor, um, the only guy that once concussed his own goaltender in the warmups for a playoff game. Um, yeah. It's, Sounds like uh, Trevor did all three. Yeah. Yeah. He may have gotten me a few. Um, Trevor had a real good moment the other night playing with a stick that was uh, taped up. Uh, so clearly, he was worried about it being compromised. He taped it down around the bottom of the shaft. And sure enough, it breaks trying to clear the zone on a, on a uh, penalty kill. Uh, and we give up what ended up being the game winning goal because we couldn't get it out. So thanks, shout, Trev. Out, shout out Trevor. Just kidding, buddy. I love you. Um, no, it's, uh, <laughs> but you can do the Seamus Kotick series in warmup boys. Like these are simple drills and that's what I love about it. Like we've got Ukopeka Lukanen. in easy for me to say. Um, doing the doing these uh, as part of his warm ups with the Buffalo Sabers, um, the Sabers prospect. 
so right up to the highest level, these drills are effective, but they can be done by kids. They can be done by adults. Seamus's whole goal in sharing this series with us was to sort of arm, you know, those minor hockey coaches that may not know much about goaltending with, you know, some simple skating drills that will help you become a better goaltender. So I'd highly recommend it. We're up to part six. Uh, we're going to get seven or eight, and then we've got an, an, uh, another series of sort of drills and shooting drills. Uh, we add some shooting to it. Uh, the next step was Seamus and Uko Pekalukin. And so massive thanks to him. Um, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Darren, because we've been getting a lot of good feedback on it. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome stuff. Uh, isn't it, Hutch? Just be able to walk through that. And and it's, you can do it at any point. You don't need anything else, really, other than ice and a couple of pucks. And even that, you could probably budge around. Yeah, and you can do these things. Uh, you know, we first heard about Eric Comrie doing his training at stick and puck yes. sessions in Southern California. I had an experience like that this week, guys. What? I had an experience like that this week. Uh, Connor Lacuve, who has been a guest on the podcast before, lives not very far from me. And uh, when he played in the Finnish league this year, and in fact was slated to go with his team to play in the Spengler Cup before it got canceled, uh, quite sadly. And Connor does not have, uh, he's visiting his parents um, up in Qualicum Beach, just north of here, does not have any shooters locally in Qualicum Beach that can go work with him. So he's been going to stick and puck and taking one end and just doing crease movement drills to help himself get better. At a level to this, Connor went to try out for the new three on three pro league. The tryout was in Vegas. Yeah. And he prepared himself for his tryout for a professional hockey league going to stick and puck in Parksville, British Columbia. And so I got to go. Yeah. So Maddie and I got to go out on the ice with him last week and I put him through a few different things, showed him a few things he hadn't seen before. And, uh, Maddie got to snipe on him a little bit and it it was a pretty cool experience. So yeah, there's a guy at the highest levels who is taking advantage of what little ice is available. And he's going out there and doing some, some skating drills to try and become um, a better goaltender. So what a great series. Absolutely. Uh, if you're one of those guys who goes on the ice and just sort of does that little fake groin stretch as you're watching your team warm up, uh, maybe use that time and, and work on your edges because uh, some of these drills are pretty basic and some of them are actually a little bit more challenging than they look, I think. So if you try and perfect them, it's fantastic. Lots of other great stuff there too, though, Darren. Of course, we had the extra long overtime game there this week between Pittsburgh and what was it, triple overtime. And and uh, I was... God, I was hoping for for it to get up to 100 shots. I Everybody hopes for these things to be over, and I think us goalie fans just hope they're going to go on forever. Kevin brought up the interview with uh, J.S. Shiguera on the podcast and the fact that he had played a five-overtime game with uh, an IV left in his arm. So Kevin wrote that up uh, on the website, shared a little bit of what we heard in the podcast. So if you haven't heard it yet, it's a great opportunity to go and hear that, that little bit. We've got uh, a pro-read with Jake Allen, who's always fantastic with his reads and and is just very generous with his time and sharing his views this time um, about why he read uh, a shot and then a particular location on that shot uh, in a breakaway that he faced. So uh, we talked to all kinds of goaltenders who tell us that they learn so much just by sitting through those pro reads and getting getting the view of professional goaltenders. So uh, as I've said before, brilliant uh, brilliant idea for that series from Woody, and I'm so thankful that we've been able to bring that to people. So in goldmag.com everybody great opportunity to get some of this great content head over there subscribe it's less than 50 bucks canadian uh for a year inflation's going through the roof for everybody right now but the price for in goldmag.com has not changed since the day we opened the doors 
And uh, you can also purchase a gift subscription for the favorite goaltender in your life, and they can get access to a year of content going forward, but also all those archives, like 500 different articles sitting there for you to go and dig into today uh, if you become a member. Outstanding. Woody, like what a deal. 100%, especially if you're in America where like, I mean, that's, I don't even know, what is that, like 30 bucks or 35 bucks because your money's worth so much? Like it's practically free. It's less than a cup of coffee, uh, you know, on a on a weekly basis. Like it's 50 bucks a year. Like it's a buck a week. It's half a tank of gas to fill your goaltending tank for a whole year. Whoa. Ooh, look at that. That is, uh, that is well done. Good job. And, I, and I, I did people that can send their questions head. to us too. What's that? People can send us their questions. They can send us our questions. Podcast at ingolmag.com. Don't even need a subscription to that. Just just be a follower of the, the podcast. You like we'll, the podcast? Uh, All you got to do is tell us how much you love the podcast, and then we're happy to answer your questions. Yeah, exactly. Woody? Can I just say this before we sign off? As much as there are some teams in the National Hockey League that are down to their third string goalie, and would perhaps prefer not to be down to their third string goalie in the playoffs right now. I am so happy to have our first string goalie to make us three goalies and two nets. Darren, so good to have you back this week, buddy. We're better with three of us. I was going to say threesome there, but that doesn't really work. It's better when there's three of us here. So thanks, buddy. I'm, I'm it's, good. It's, it's so good to have you back and, and see and see and have you feeling better. Uh, I was going to say it's like riding a bike, but that's not a good analogy. I, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely, easier. definitely not a good now. Now that I'm seeing that how much like you're bored and you're playing with your gear and you're cleaning your axis and you're cleaning and yeah. you're rebaking your glove. I shouldn't. Have, we shouldn't. Have, Ingol shouldn't have sent you flowers and t-shirts. We should have sent you a new set of gear. We might have to work on that with our friends from CCM. The Ingol flowers were beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and I, I feel like I should get them uh, done as my custom uh, print on my pads. <laughs> <laughs> moving forward i'd like the, to see the, the ingle flowers uh you guys are are, are awesome uh hey, hey truly... listen listen not a lot of people know this but i happen to be married to our cfo and the company in vegas that did the flowers was called whispers and honey and so when your wife checks your visa statements at the end of a month on the company card and there's just something in vegas called whispers and honey <laughs> you get a note that says w TF is this. I'm like, flowers for Darren, flowers for Darren, relax, flowers for Darren. <laughs> it was a good moment. That's a perfect way to uh, end it. Uh, great being back with you guys and uh, you, the listener, as well. And uh, we'll chat uh, next week a little bit more on the cat eye, I'm sure, as uh, we will be closing in on the end of uh, round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop. TheHockeyShop.com, Source for Sports Surrey, and our feature interview presented by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Sensorina VR.